Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I'm going to be doing a, a series of five teachings, brace yourself, on theology. Now, I know when you say the word theology, a lot of people say, oh, no. In fact, I've heard people say, I've heard, in fact, I've even heard preachers say it. I'm no theologian. You hear it all the time. I'm no theologian. Generally, all that means is that you're a bad one. So don't flinch over the word theology. Theology just means what you believe to be true about God. Now, theology, to be valid, must be entirely biblically informed. In other words, it can't just be your opinion that you've plucked out of thin air. You hear people say all the time, you know, somebody says, I don't believe God, or I don't believe God's like that, or I don't believe God's like that. Really, you know, we don't care. Um, what we want to know is, what does the Bible tell us about God? What is the, how does that inform our theology? So uh, tonight, I want to uh, begin by uh, teaching a, a second word that is hard for uh, contemporary folks. And that, that's holiness. I want to teach tonight on the theology, uh, the theological issue of the holiness of God. I was, um, I was speaking uh, at a women's group one time and of a certain denomination, and there was a lot of women there. And I said I was going to teach on holiness. And I just asked, Does anyone, has anyone here ever been to, down to the Indian Springs campground? camp meeting down in uh, near Jackson, Georgia. And one lady kind of raised her hand timidly like this. She was afraid I'd call on her, you know, so I did. And I said, ma'am, is there any chance that you remember what it says on the sign as you drive in? And she went, oh, yes. And I said, would you mind sharing with the other ladies what this terrible thing is. And she said, okay, okay. It says holiness unto the Lord. There, I said it. And I realized in that moment that there are entire circles of Christianity where holiness is on harder times than sin. And, and I felt that it was time for us to reinvest ourselves, at least in understanding, if not the holiness of the believer, at least the holiness of God. What does it mean? There is no adjective applied to God the Father Almighty throughout Scripture more commonly, more consistently than holiness. Our God is a holy God. So tonight I want to be teaching on the holiness of God. Because this series on theology can be a little bit intimidating, I've written some things and some guys are going to help us and we're going to liven it up a little bit from time to time. So this is going to be an entirely unpredictable teaching on holiness. Beginning with, I'm going to read a passage of scripture that doesn't even have the word in it. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This whole series is called Meetings with God. 
meetings with God, and tonight the holiness of God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This is Moses meeting with God on Mount Sinai. This is where God tells Moses, uh, go down into Egypt, tell Pharaoh to let my people go, tell the people to follow you, that whole conversation. And then in verse 13, Moses says, when I'm coming to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers that sent me unto thee, they shall say unto me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God spoke unto Moses and said, when thou shalt come unto the congregation of the people of Israel, say unto them, I am hath sent me unto thee, for I am that I am. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight with our hearts and minds and spirits as open as we know how to get them. And we're asking you to do all the rest. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, we pray. When we leave, we will say to each other, surely the Lord has visited his people tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. It's a fascinating exchange between Moses and God. God has summoned Moses to the great defining mission of his life. Go down into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and lead the people out of slavery through the Sinai Peninsula and into the land of milk and honey to assume and occupy the uh, Holy Land. In a burst of peculiarly earthy wisdom, Moses says to God, he says, your Lord, when I go down to the people of Israel, they have been in bondage for 430 years, 430 years in Egyptian bondage. Now, think what that does to your, to one's culture, to one's religion. Not only have they been in physical slavery, but they have been surrounded by the ubiquitous culture of pagan Egypt. And so he says, after 430 years, they've forgotten the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. When I go to them and say, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, when I go to them and say, the God of your fathers has sent me into thee, they're going to say, what is his name? Is it Ra, the Egyptian God of the sun? Is it Isis? that blasphemous Egyptian goddess of the Nile and of fertility and sexuality? What do I tell them? I, I can't go down there to them and tell them a burning bush sent me. Who are you? And God says, I am that I am. I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto them, I am hath sent me unto thee. It is the most profound statement of the character and nature of God in the entire Bible, Old or New Testament, that God is I am. He is always himself. He is always himself. I wonder if you've ever had a friend or an acquaintance or whatever that was a little bit undependable. You just never knew who was going to show up. Don't you hate that feeling? You see them get out of their car in the parking lot and you think, is this going to be the happy one or the angry one? It, 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 makes, you feel, it makes you feel frightened and, and insecure about, about this, uh, 
this meeting, this encounter, who are you going to, who are you going to meet? What if you went to God and you never knew what God was going to be like? There are many, many people that have an entirely schizophrenic view of God. And they, and, and they just don't know that there are people that are paralyzed in their devotional access to God. They're afraid to approach God because they don't know what they'll find when they get there. Hey, welcome. Welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Welcome. Uh, yes. Are you God? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You could say that uh, in a manner of speaking. In a manner of speaking. Are you God or not? Well, let me put it to you this way. Uh, this is my office, and um, whenever you come in, somebody will be here. How's that? What are you even talking about? Are you God or not? Uh, hold on. Now I am. What do you want? Oh, oh, okay. Um, all right, well, I've been uh, going through a tough situation, and I was wondering if I could get some... No. No? What, are you deaf? I said no. I don't do that poor baby stuff. Oh, help me. Oh, comfort me. Wine, 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 blah, blah, blah. Look, I wasn't asking for some sympathy. I was just wondering... No! Can I make that any clearer? No, no, no! Nah, come on back. I was just joking. I was just joking. I do that all the time. I, I, I joke all the time. Come on, come on. I am so confused right now. Uh, you were just yelling at me. Uh-huh, yeah. I, is this you or was that you? Both. Hello? Oh, you're, you're still there. Totally forgot you were there. Listen, uh, it all depends on who answers the phone. You mean you're not always the same? Ah! Jimmer me timbers! I'm gonna throw you to the sharks! You are scaring me. <laughs> I love that part. I'm the scary pirate god. Ah! What? Now listen, buddy, there's no need to be scared, okay? I am just your friendly sidekick god, all right? Here to help you travel those trails and mosey those little doggies on down. <laughs> yes, well. About my prayer. Oh, no, no. I don't answer prayer. No, sorry, Bob Howdy. No, what I do is I sing a good cowboy song. All right, join in with me. Goodbye, old paint. I'm bound for Montana. This is, this is crazy. You know what? It is a little crazy, but it's okay because I'm your coach and we're going to get through this thing. Oh, okay. Well, uh, maybe I could get some help. Okay, well, you came to the right place, okay? So listen, I've been watching your game, all right? And I'm pretty sure that we can get your batting average up to 30 if you follow what I say. What you want to do is you want to keep your eye on the ball, okay? And you want to wait for the pitch. What are you even talking about? You mean whenever I pray, I don't even know who's going to be in here? This is nuts. Exactly. You just got to step up to the plate and swing for the fence. Swing for the fences. Hold your hands up! You're under arrest! What? I, but, but I didn't do anything! You can't lie to me! I'm the police guy! Now, spread them, buddy! Wait, wait, spread them, spread them. Wait, wait, wait. But I just wanted some guidance. Come on, come on. Hey, hey, hey. Come on. Imagine if God was as undependable as your crazy friend. 
that you just never knew which God would show up. In fact, we communicate exactly that fractured view of God in a lot of sort of subliminal ways. And I remember when I would go to a Sunday school, just a little boy, I'd go to a Sunday school in a very traditional church. We went to Sunday school in the basement. It was a nice little fat lady there with an upright piano. And she would say, we'd sing songs that Jesus loves the little children. How many of you remember? Jesus loves the little children. All the little children of the Lord. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loved me. I knew it. I believed it. His picture was on the wall. Jesus couldn't have hurt me if he wanted to. He'd right straight out of the beauty shop. He looked nice, chestnut hair, perfectly fixed. I always knew Jesus loved me. But then we would leave the basement and we'd go up to big church. Anybody remember big church? And there was a sign over the door. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Now that's a sign that's designed to scare a kid to death. Jesus loved me, but God is in his holy silence, in his holy temple. Shut your mouth. Furthermore, you can't con a kid. There's something creepy about any place that they won't take babies. And then everything looked different. In Sunday school, in the basement, everybody wore regular clothes. I would see the pastor out in the hallway, and he'd talk to me. He was dressed looking like my dad, had on a suit and tie. Hey, Mark, how you doing? We'd talk together, everything like that. Then we went into church, and he was no longer dressed like that. He'd have on a floor-length black robe. He looked like a buzzard with a glam problem. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, out comes the choir. They're all dressed in their nightgowns, and, and the the organist begins with box staccato in D minor. Boom, 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 boom. That'll scare the liver out of you. Now, do you see? All of a sudden, I sensed a rupture between Jesus, who loved me, and God, who was either mildly irritated or hated kids. There's this sense in which, if we're not careful, we send the signal that. God and Jesus are just not exactly the same thing. What about the third person of the Trinity? In the church I grew up in, it was a case of father, son, and what's his name? We, the consistent unity, the wholeness of the Godhead had a very fractured and almost schizophrenic view in it in my growing up. Now, it's easy for us to talk about um, the more traditional churches and the robed choirs and all the rest of it. Listen to this old-time Pentecostal chorus. Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you need. Jesus on the main line. Call him up and tell him what you need. If you need salvation, tell him what you need. If you need the Holy Ghost, tell him what you need. Jesus on the main line. Now, it's a very old chorus that tied in to a technological advancement. That was to say the telephone. Imagine if somebody could write a chorus now that said, Jesus on the computer screen. That's what Jesus on the main line was about. It, it was connecting prayer to the telephone. Now, nobody here remembers. Anybody here old enough to remember party lines? I grew up on a party line. Oh, there's a few of you. And you can remember you pick up the phone to call your girlfriend and Mrs. Wilson was on the phone. Mrs. Wilson, please, will you hang up? Or furthermore, you were talking to your girlfriend and you could hear Mrs. Wilson breathing. I know you're there, Mrs. Wilson. Hang up. 
But this old chorus said, look, when you call up heaven, Jesus is on the main line. Jesus is on the main line. But do you see the subliminal message? If you call heaven and Jesus answers, you tell him what you need. But if God answers, hang up fast. (laughs) What we've got to get in our minds is what did God mean? I am that I am. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, who is who he is. Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God, and he is therefore reflective of the fatherhood of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. There's not one of them nice and one of them mean and one of them holy and one of them kind of spooky. There's the, there's the sense of the unity of God, the holiness of God. I am that I am. God will never be one thing and then another. He is not changeable and he is never partial. God is not sometimes part of himself and other times the rest of himself. I want you to think what that means. That means that there is never a time when God is partial, when he is separated, when he is some little part of himself for you. Now think what that means. If God is altogether I am, Here's another theological word. He is omnipresent. It means everywhere present. I was either taught as a child or I just thought to myself, I can't remember which, that omnipresent, I think I was taught it in a sermon, omnipresent said that God was like steam and that when it got in a room, it just went everywhere. There was some steam up there and there was steam here, steam all over. But that's a very bad view of omnipresence. Because what that would mean is that there's some steam up there and some here, but you can't have all the steam everywhere all at once. But if God is I am and God is omnipresent, it means that all of God is present all the time, everywhere at the same time. That's the miracle of God I am. Do you see what that means? That informs deeply and profoundly how we approach God in prayer. Here's another low-tech, old-timey thing. Does anybody remember switchboards? Does anybody remember switchboards? You remember you call up and you say, please give me the sheriff's office, and she'd plug you in. You remember that? Or please give me the theater, and she'd say, all right, just a minute. She'd plug it in. So you had this switchboard operator with the help. You know, not what do you call that? Earphones on and everything. She says, all these lights for the, everybody's light is in town is in there. And she waits and somebody rings and she plugs it in and connects it over here and this one, this one. I had the idea of God as the cosmic switchboard operator. There's seven and a half billion people on earth. So he's got seven and a half billion lights and God's sitting up at the thing, connecting the lights. Everybody wants to pray somebody in, you know, some foreign country, Indiana or somewhere. And, they're over here and praying and over here in Puerto Rico and there all these people praying and God's working. He can manage it most of the time for two reasons. One of the reasons is half the world is asleep at night. So he's only got about three and a half billion lights. The other thing is he's God. So he can pretty much handle it. But how does that change the way we pray? Do you ever hear anybody say this? <laughs> say, I've got a terrible headache. You say, let me pray for you. Oh, no, no, I know it's... It's just, a, it's just a little headache. Why would they say that? It is because deep down inside, subconsciously, 
They're afraid to go to God and light up their light with nothing more complicated than a headache because there's some poor lady in Ethiopia whose child is dying with diphtheria and she can't get through. She gets a busy signal. So God's dealing with a headache in Atlanta and some poor lady in Ethiopia, her child's dying because that fails to grasp the reality that there's only, if God is the cosmic switchboard operator, there's only one light on his board. There's only one light. Yours and yours and yours and yours. If God is altogether himself all the time and altogether present all at the same time, it means that you have God's entire attention all the time, all his creative faculties. All of God's thoughts, all of God's energy, all of God's power, all of God's focus is totally 100% on you. You're his only concern. You're his only concern. Now, do you see how that begins to change prayer? It means that I now realize God is complete. He's never partial. I'm never a memory for him. He's never, he's never too busy. He's never distracted. He's never incomplete. God, who is I am, is altogether fastened on my life because he is always in every place present entirely all the time. Now, we come to the second question. And that is, if he is watching me, if he's looking at me and he is a holy God, he's a holy God, that can be so kind of scary. You know, this holy God, some people have this idea of God peering in the window. I am watching you <laughs> because he's holy and say, Lord, I'd like to talk to you. Says, I'm holy. What does holiness mean? Holiness means wholeness with a W, W-H-O-L-E, wholeness, completion, entire. I was driving through a small town in a southern state, which will remain unnamed, but which adjoins Georgia on the west. <laughs> this is a true story. I was driving through this town, and there was a little crudely lettered, hand-painted sign with an arrow that pointed down a side street. And it said, Holy Ghost Revival, now in progress. But it's spelled H-O-L-E-Y, Holy Ghost. Okay, see, it dawned on me that the great barrier to a move of God in this country may be our spelling. <laughs> Holy, H-O-L-E-Y, that's not God, that's your socks. H-O-L-E-Y means full of holes. It's the exact opposite of H-O-L-Y, holy, which means whole, W-H-O-L-E. So let's suppose that I had a blackboard here and, and I could theoretically draw a perfect circle. A perfect circle. That is, in other words, it is described as being equidistant from the center on every point in the perimeter. It is a perfect circle. There's nothing in it that shouldn't be in it. There, that if we withdrew it would make it more circleness than it is. Furthermore, there is nothing missing that if I added it would make it a better circle. It's the perfect circle. It is in that sense a whole circle. It is a 
holy circle, H-O-L-Y. Now, I take the eraser and I just rub out and make a gap on the outside perimeter of that circle. Now it's holy, H-O-L-E-Y. It has a hole in it. But in order to complete the circle, I take the chalk and I complete it with a squiggly line like that. It's enclosed, isn't it? There's no hole in it, but it's not holy because it's imperfect. There's part of it that doesn't meet the definition of circleness. In other words, there is nothing in God that if it were taken out would make him a better God than he is. There is nothing missing that if it were added would make him a better God than he is. I am that I am is holy, is perfect, always, all the time, at the same time, everywhere. So now back to the cosmic switchboard. Okay, God is sitting there. He's waiting for me to dial up and he's going to plug in and connect. Just me. Not seven and a half billion lights, just my light. But I hesitate. Why? Because I'm not sure what I'm going to find. Let's just suppose, this is a dreadful anthropomorphism, but just go with it for a minute. Let's suppose that God wakes up one morning and his blood sugar is too low. His blood pressure is too high. He wakes up with a grouch on. He puts his feet on the side of the bed, leans over, and he looks down at earth, and the first person he sees is you. It's a little bit scary, isn't it? And he says to himself, what was I thinking? I should have my divine head examined. Making blondes with blue eyes, I must have been crazy. And he says, all right, all the blondes with blue eyes in the whole world, zap, smallpox. Well, we say to ourselves, God isn't going to do that, is he? <laughs> no, God isn't going to do that. But why isn't he going to do that? How can I count on a holy God not looking down at me and just somehow or another being picked? Because of holiness. The holiness of God is not what makes God scary He's what makes God dependable. If God is holy, if he's always the same, if I can count on God being I am, he's never I was, he's not I will be, he is I am. I am that I am. If I can count on that, then I want to know what he's like. If God is a holy God and he's always holy, then what is he like? John tells us, God is love. God is love. God is, I am, is holy, is, I, is love, is I am, is God, is holy, is love. The perfect character and nature of God, his holiness that which makes me know that I'm not ever going to walk into heaven and find the pirate God. I don't get the scary guy with the sword. I'm not going to get the cop. I don't get, I don't get the, the goofy clown. I get God. 
When I dial up, I get God, and he is perfect, and he is always himself, and his self is love. Now, here's the second mistake people make toward the holiness of God and his dependable character and nature. They get the feeling that what's going on in them changes what's going on in God. So they get afraid to go to God because they're sinful, because they think somehow or another God changes in regard to the sinfulness that they're dealing with. They're sinful, so they're afraid that if they go to God, they find a different God than the guy who's righteous. But the guy who's righteous and the guy who's sinful, when they show up before God, they both find the same God. They both encounter the same God. Or they think they're depressed. They're down. They're discouraged. Oh, this is just such a horrible day. Everything's wrong. I, I'm so miserable. And they think, well, I'll call up God. And they say, God, how's everything in heaven? Oh, he says, it's horrible. I'm so depressed. I'm so dumb. We project over onto God what we're feeling with, what we're dealing with. But God doesn't say, I am who you are. God says, I am who I am. And who I am is holy. And what is holy is love. You can always count on a God whose holiness is love. He's never going to be different anywhere with anybody else than he is right now. So uh, when I was a young guy in my 20s, uh, I believe Lincoln was in the White House at that time, there was, a, there was an elderly lady, a Chinese lady that my wife and I met. It's a lovely old woman, and she had grown up on the mainland of China before the Communist Revolution. Think how long ago that was. And she had grown up in a pagan household. And she told us that when there was a, a, a baby born, a beautiful, perfect baby, a little baby that everybody loved and was just beautiful, that the, the father would hide the baby under the bed and draw the bedclothes down. And he would go out in the yard and shoot off some firecrackers or bang cymbals together and blow a bugle, whatever, until he had the attention of the gods. And he would curse them. Oh, I, I curse you. You have, you have sent this horrible, miserable excuse for a baby. I'm, this baby will never make us happy. Oh, we despise you. Thanks for nothing. And he'd go back in the house. And then the visitors would come over. And they'd come to see the baby. They'd pull the cloth back and show the baby. And the people would say, beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful baby. And they'd close the baby up like that. And they'd say, oh, woe is us. Woe is us. Woe is this household, this miserable excuse for a baby. This will never make anybody happy. Why would they do that? I asked her. She said, because they saw the gods as extrapolated human beings. They're powerful, huge, but they're just great, big human beings. So he said, she said, you take the the mental power of a human being and multiply it by 100,000x, you have a huge power to deal with. But she said, if you do that, you take the human sins and multiply it 100 million x. And so she said, now you have great, big, jealous, wicked gods that are capable of envy. And if they find out that the baby is making you happy, they'll come and kill it. What a horrible, threatening way to live. But I can know that I can say to God, I am blessed. 
I am happy. I thank you. I praise you. I worship you. And God is not going to say, oh, you're altogether too happy. I'm going to mess your life up. What, what, a, what a terrible thing it is when people think that the holiness of God is what is standing between us and God. What is standing between us and God is our own sinfulness. The holiness of God is what makes me know when I approach him. I'm not saying God is predictable. There are two words Americans use wrongly, predictable and dependable. Your, your wife is dependable. She's like never predictable. Okay. <laughs> so the same thing is true with God. God is dependable. He's dependable. When we come to God, we can count on the fact that God is going to be holy, that he's going to be there. He's not going to be busy. He's not going to be distracted. He's not going to be partial. He is altogether himself. I am and that he's holy and his holiness is love me word. No matter what I've done, the only thing that stands between me and a holy God is not God's holiness. It's my sinfulness. So when I approach him in my sinfulness, God says, come therefore boldly before the throne of grace, where we will find God himself. God says to Moses, go down there and tell him I am who I am. I'll never change. I'll never be different. I'll never be capricious or whimsical. I'm not going to be schizophrenic. Now, we know in contemporary Christian Trinitarian theology, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one, entirely unified in holiness. Jesus is the Word of God. The Word cannot be separate from God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, who is the word of the Father. Therefore, the Spirit is the Spirit of holiness. Romans chapter 1, the Spirit of holiness that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Jesus is our holy Savior. God is our holy God, all three one and all holy. All holy. There's a fascinating little passage of Scripture. I'm going to close with this. It's Psalm 48. The first verse, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. Beautiful little Psalm. What does this say? In the mountain of his holiness. In prophetic writing, and this Psalm is a prophetic Psalm, in prophetic writing, mountain may mean all kinds of things. What it almost never means is mountain. It can mean an army or a dynasty or a kingdom. So Psalm 48 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the kingdom of his holiness. Now I want you to listen to this. Jesus says, If you have the faith as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, Be plucked up and cast into the sea. Mountain. What mountain? The mountain of evil, the mountain of wickedness, the mountain of rebellion, the mountain of sin, the mountain of stands against God. It's mountain against mountain, kingdom against kingdom. And Jesus says, the kingdom of our God is such a kingdom of holiness 
that when we allow the unity, the I amness of God to flow through us, we can look demonic evil right in the eye and be and say, be gone. Our God is one God in three persons, in one, holy, perfect, and altogether love. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you've been, nowhere you've been can change who God is. You may be deeply and painfully aware of your sin. God knows about it, but it doesn't change who God is. You may be discouraged. You may be downcast. You may be dealing with deep troubles in life, but none of those things change who God is. God does not love you out of any of the peripheral details in your life. He loves you out of the eternal resource of his own character. God is holy as I am is love. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.